Thanks for listening to the Uplink Marketing Podcast. Hudson is out today. He got pulled into a meeting last minute. So I was preparing to do a podcast by myself, and it is close to Christmas time, and my dad is in town, so I asked him to be on the podcast. Hey, Dad. Hey, Evan. How are you? Doing great. Is this your very first podcast? It is my very first podcast today. What is a podcast in your mind? I am not quite sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what I I just figured that was the answer. So I wanted to know what was going through your mind when I asked you to be on a podcast. I have no idea, but I said yes. So a podcast is essentially audio format. You've You've been involved with radio in the past. Correct. So uh, audio recordings, the the difference here with podcasts, what we're trying to do is instead of selling ad spaces on the podcast, instead of the podcast or the audio being the revenue generator itself, it is the top of funnel that leads people to your business because you're providing them valuable content. So what we're wanting to do with the Uplink Marketing Podcast is put out valuable content for people to engage with our brand and build trust. And then if they ever need paid digital advertising services or want to do a podcast for themselves, then they can contact us. Okay, so you are uh, building relationships to start a community about what your organization does and how you can assist them in what their needs are. That is a great way to put it. I got it. Yeah. So... uh, one reason I got excited about having you on this podcast was because you're my dad and I've never done a podcast with you. So it's going to be really fun to ask you questions and, and learn from you because I've been learning from you for 28 years. Um, and another is you've been involved in business for a very long time. Uh, Are you saying that I'm old? Yes. A very, I'm going to emphasize very, very <laughs> long time. Uh, you've been in business for a long time uh, and have had a lot of successes and failures that I think would be fun to explore a little bit okay. uh, on today's episode. So one, uh, what did you do? So the earliest thing I think I know you did for work was work at Xerox in the 90s as a salesperson, a sales associate. Was that your title? Right. It uh, started at Xerox in uh 1988 as a uh, frontline sales rep. Okay. Did you do anything before that? What did you do before that? Uh, I actually, I did quite a bit, but nothing on a professional level. You know, I was a magician. Yes, I do Um, know that. I did glass etching. Okay. A pianist. Uh, A pianist, yes. Um, I mean, I... You sold, you sold sold peepholes door to door. door. (laughs) Tell the story. Tell the story. My most famous success that I still rely on today is that uh, my mom and dad uh, was sitting in the house one day and someone knocked on the door and, and my, my mom said, hey, I, I wish we had a peephole. We could see who it is. So I said, well, I'll, take, I'll just put one in. So I went to Target and bought a peephole and I put one in and I went, man, this is really easy. Uh, I, I borrowed my dad's drill back then. We didn't have cordless drills. So I borrowed a drill and an extension cord and um, I uh, drilled through the door and I just splintered the entire back of the door. And so when dad got home, I said, hey, dad, I got good news and bad news for you. I, I put a peephole in, which mom wanted, but I spent at the back of the door. And he, he said, well, did you put a block of wood behind it? And I said, no. And he said, well, you got to put a block of wood behind it. So when your drill bit goes through, it won't splinter the back of the door. And so that was one of the great you know, learning lessons. And so I decided that if my, my mom and dad needed one, how many other neighbors needed one? And so I ended up going back to uh, Target, buying all the peepholes they had. And I just walked up and down the neighborhood, knocked on doors and uh, put, put uh, peepholes in for $20 for all my neighbors. How'd you sell it? 
uh, well, I ended up selling. I would knock on the door and they'd say, who is it? And I said, if you have a peephole, you would know I'm selling peepholes for $20. And I would say that through the door. <laughs> That's and a so, brilliant pitch. All right. So at this moment, whenever my dad got finished telling the story, the recorder shut off and I did not see that the recorder shut off quite yet. So we continued talking for a few minutes and none of that got recorded. So what you're about to hear is us jumping back into the conversation where we thought the recorder left off and we weren't quite sure. So it's going to be a little chunky for a second and then uh, it'll continue on. Hope you're enjoying this. Treat me like a fool. Okay, well, we're going to get back on. Uh, I don't know where we left off, so I'm going to jump back uh, like five minutes here and then piece together wherever we left off. Okay. You sold peepholes door-to-door. Peepholes door-to-door. Uh, so I'm so I'm going to tell the story quickly. I okay. hope we have some of this. You would, you would go door-to-door selling people. One of my favorite parts, I was going to jump to this, after you're talking about Xerox, which I still want to get into here in a minute. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of keep my eye on this red dot too to make, make sure, sure it's that on. it doesn't go off again. Okay. Whenever you drilled your first peephole in the door for your mom and dad, you splintered the door mm-hmm. and you had this thought, oh man, when dad gets home, he's going to find out I splintered the door. And so you told him and he said, well, did you put a block of wood behind it? Mm-hmm. And he taught you something instead of reacting. Correct. Which I appreciate from you as a father. I think what I'm learning here is this is a generational gift that maybe fathers have been giving to each other for a while, that whenever somebody does something and and makes a mistake, you're there to teach and to help, not to uh, make somebody feel bad for making a mistake. Well, and, and that's something yeah. that you've always done with me. And I think you you take the approach in business as well. Yeah. I mean, a mistake and something on purpose is, is relatable in two completely different ways. If someone knowingly uh, does something, and then, then that gives you an opportunity to not only coach them, but also to let them know there's accountability and there's consequences. Right. But when someone does something and, and it's a mistake, there's no reason to get emotional about it because it was just an error. Right. And so that's, an, that's a really a coaching and a teaching opportunity uh, and leave the emotion, you know, away out of that. Uh, because again, people make mistakes. And so you can't get upset. You can't get all excited about someone making a mistake. So I, whenever you say things like that, I think of trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it builds trust with the person who made the mistake. Mm-hmm. Maybe they feel like they're able to make mistakes again in the future, which they will. Uh, that's something I've learned from you as well. Mistakes are always going to happen. How do you respond to them? How do you get better? How do you learn from them? Uh, and it seems like you're able to build trust with your employees, and, and that's an important aspect of, of running a business, managing a business, is that trust uh, that's built there. Well, yeah, the, 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 there's two things you're looking at. One definitely is trust. The other thing is you're building loyalty. And, you know, we've always had a saying at all my companies is we'll be as loyal to you as you are to us. So we let our associates actually set the tone of the loyalty factor because we're going to show loyalty and we're going to be loyal to them. And so uh, by doing that, you're not only building a relationship, you're building trust, but you're building loyalty. And that, that's how come we've been able to keep, you know, some of our associates for, for so long. Uh, you know, we, we don't use the term employee. Uh, we use the term associates in all the companies and because that puts them more on an equal level. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's great. So before the thing cut out, we were on this track. You were telling us a story about how you got your, your first professional job. Uh, what separate you was this hustle that you put in before, and you kind of put that into practice uh, to get this first professional job at Xerox in 1988. Is that 1988. right? 1988. Okay. How old were you in 1988? This is going to age you. Is that okay? Mm, I was born in 63, so do the math. 25? Yeah. yeah. 25 years old. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so 88. What did you have to do to get that job at Xerox? How would you separate yourself? Well, one in 600. You know, if, if it was recording earlier, there was 611 applicants for one job. And so they got down to three. I was one of the three which I was really happy about that. Um, but then, you know, Will Thomas was the manager that was, that was actually doing all the interview. And I would, I would call him every single day and just ask him, hey, did, hey, Will, is today the day that I get the job? And so what I wanted to show and prove him that I was hungry and I was willing to work hard and, and that I wasn't shy about asking for the business uh, because I was asking for the job. Which are great sales principles. Which is key to selling. Um, you know, and, and every day he would reject me. And the next, you know, and I would call the very next day. And, but, but as I shared earlier, I pushed it a little too far one day and he told me, do not call me again. We know you want this job. When the hiring freeze is lifted, then we'll give you a call and we'll do the final three interviews. And so the very next day he comes out in the parking lot and I'm leaning up against his car. And he says, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. I said, Mr. Thomas, you said, do not call you. But I did not want to take, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you that I'm the man for this job. And I looked and he had a uh, pack of cigarettes in his pocket. and as Which a, was fairly common in 1988. Which was very common, yeah, even, yeah. even in the business world. Yep. And so uh, being a magician, uh, I asked him, I said, if I can stick a cigarette through a quarter, can I have the job today? Now, he didn't know you were a magician. He, he had just no thought idea. you were playing around, maybe. Correct. <laughs> and, and he asked me, he said, do what? And I said, if, if I can stick a cigarette in your pocket through a quarter, can I have the job today? And he didn't answer me. He just picked up the cigarette, threw it to me, and I asked him, does he have a quarter? And he threw me a quarter. Uh, he not didn't realize that I had a palmed quarter in my other hand. And so I took that cigarette, and I stuck that cigarette right through that quarter. And he looked at it, and he says, no, nah, that's not really through that quarter. And then I stuck the cigarette in my mouth. And then he said, what? I, what are you doing? <laughs> and so um, I said, well, can I have the job today? And he, he just laughed. He says, follow me. We walked straight back into the, the corporate office, the headquarters there in Oklahoma City, and he took me to the district manager. And he said, hey, this is the guy I've been telling you about that will not leave me alone. The guy's name was Scott Bradley, and I, I think he still works for Xerox today. And um, he said, this guy said that, if, that he could stick a cigarette through a quarter and asked me if he could have the job today. And Scott said, did he do it? And uh, Scott didn't smoke, but Will threw me a cigarette. So I did the same trick to, to Scott Bradley. And uh, Scott jumped up off of his desk. He couldn't believe it. I threw him the cigarette in the quarter. He couldn't believe it. I still had the, the, my quarter palmed in my hand. And so they took me around the office and introduced me to everybody in the <laughs> office and had me do that trick over and over again. And um, Which they made you break a code of magicians. They made me, yeah, do not <laughs> do a trick do more than once. Trick, yeah. But I, I knew it was kind of crucial. Yeah, that was an important time um, to do that. <laughs> uh, they, they actually called Rochester, New York a week later. Uh, Rochester lifted the hiring freeze and they hired one person in the entire country uh, and that was me um, and then you know I, I was there for 10 years that's incredible so there there are so many different things as you're saying this story that I think are important to pick up on for people 
looking to to separate themselves, which it isn't just something to get a job, but in in business to get customers. How do you separate yourselves? And I think preparation was a big part. Preparation, knowing what you had to do to get the job. The type of job you were interviewing for was a sales job. So you were putting into practice and selling yourself in ways before you ever had the job so that they did, that, that's not something they can see on paper. Uh, you were giving them things that they saw in you that weren't on paper. And then the, the weird preparation and the preparation that stands out to me the most, and I say weird because I don't think it's common. The uncommon preparation, I think, would be a good way to put it, is you having a fake quarter in your pocket. <laughs> right. I used to carry it everywhere. <laughs> that that and a deck of cards in my back pocket. Uh, and was the deck of cards, you know, I get, was the deck of cards a real deck of cards? It was a real deck okay. of cards, but it, it was one that I could actually do tricks with as well. Okay. Uh, so the, the fact that you had these things and had practice, that's not a mm-hmm. trick you can do easily. Correct. Uh, sleight of hand is very difficult mm-hmm. and knowing how to get people to look certain places while you do certain things. Uh, is something that takes a lot of practice. And mm-hmm. I can imagine the first time you picked up a quarter and stuck a cigarette through it, you weren't thinking this is going to help me enter my professional career, but it was something that uh, something inside you loved to do. W- what made you pick up magic for the first time? You know, it, magic always interested me okay. uh, because it, it was always fascinating. I would always wonder, how did they do that? And so just the curiosity was actually the start and then uh, learning magic tricks myself and then being able to perform them uh, and then seeing that, you know, the people's reactions was just a great reaction. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, from that, again, it was building relationships, uh, you know, because your realm of influence, the more people you know, the more people you have influence with uh, when you do start your career. I mean, that's just one step ahead that you are. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I used to do, I mean, they used to, they, they brought it down to the point where I would do sleight of hand magic at company events and parties and, and things of that nature. But never did I see myself actually utilizing it to get a job until the opportunity presented right. itself. Yeah. Preparation and opportunity where they meet, that is where you can move forward, right? Yeah. In fact, I, I didn't know Mr. Thomas smoked. And so it wasn't until I saw the cigarette in his pockets that I thought, okay, there's a cigarette. I've yeah, got my yeah. quarter. This is a good plan to put in place right now. So it, it, was, it was kind of a reactionary uh, to see the cigarettes and knew I had the quarter saying, okay, I, I can now separate myself even further. Yep. And, uh, and it worked. That's awesome. So when I think of magic, I think of how magic has changed from... 1988 or before to now, uh, there's quite a bit of technology used in the illusion art form. Also in business, a lot of technology has changed. And uh, I think you sit in this unique perspective, you, your generation, people that have been working for uh, since the since the 80s to today, have witnessed the greatest technological advancement uh, in human history. And you've interacted with it in one way or another. You uh, capitalized on on one of these as well, getting in the the cell phone industry in mm-hmm. the early early nineties mm-hmm. um, after Xerox, before anybody knew that we'd be carrying around these tiny computers and talking to each other face to face on them. What do you think about the advancement in technology? What have you seen? Where what, uh, what are thought what what are your thoughts on the technological advancements that have happened? Well, I mean, there, there's been more advancements, I mean, in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years and ever in history combined. 
In fact, if you think about it, just barely over 100 years ago, they were still riding horses and, and lighting, you know, lighting gas lanterns to the day where we're sending pictures and messages, you know, over the air. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just been incredible. And, and, you know, for someone, you know, in the 50s, I mean, we've had to hang on. Uh, for the younger generation that grew up with it, they didn't know anything before that. And I mean, our, our uh, remote controls for TV, I mean, we had those when I was young, but it was dad saying, hey, go turn the TV. What? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was our remote control in the house. You still did that to me, even Absolutely. though we had one. I would have the remote control so I could still do that because I said, if I have a son. That's a rite of passage. That's right. I'm going to do that to my son. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's funny. Um, oh, gosh, I lost my question with that. Continue. It, yeah. it, it was a te- te- uh, technology changes. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been hanging on, you know, you know, even though technology's changed, uh, some of the concepts have not. Uh, there's, there's just different ways to get there. Right. So um, a principle is something that's timeless, right? If something's a principle, technology is not going to change correct. the truth behind that principle. It's, it's going to be adapted to correct. it, right? You know, so what are some principles that have stood throughout this technological uh, time change? Well, one of the ones that, that has never gone away is it, 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 the thing that has changed in this principle is the amount of time it takes to get a customer. Okay. It used to take more time to get a tech customer and develop a customer because we didn't have all the messaging and, and the technology that allows us to approach that customer. But the concept is still the same. Back in the day, we would say it takes months and months and months to gain a customer, but it only takes a few seconds to lose one. Yeah, well, that still that holds true, true today, besides the, the time frame there. I the guess. time frame to get the customer might be shorter right. because now with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the things that you can do to gain the customer quicker is, 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 is I mean, it has changed. But the concept or the meaning behind it, still, if you are not valuing that customer and taking care of that customer, it takes seconds to lose the customer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the things that probably the greatest thing in business that, that I have seen uh, and I will tell you, it's a little disappointing, but it, it's just the way it is, is the loyalty factor. You used to build customers for loyalty, and, and that loyalty would stand strong. And we've seen over the years, especially in the last 10 years, uh, when, there's, when there's not that much difference in brands and, and, and technologies, that people's loyalty really does not stick the way it used to. Yeah. And, now it's, and now everything's based upon the deal. And what's the deal, and then can you stand behind it? And that might gain the customer, but, but, but again, an old concept, the faster you can get the deal, the faster you will lose the deal. So you almost wanted it to take months because you knew you were going to have that customer for years to come Use, using this uh, metaphor, change out the time frames there. If you lower the price to get a customer, uh, then you're, buy, you're getting that customer based upon a price point. And then if somebody else comes with a different price point that's lower than yours, you're going to lose that customer because the loyalty's not there. Yeah. So you've got to be careful how you gain your customers. You cannot gain your customers just on the cheapest price because somebody one day will be cheaper. And if that's what you based your business on, you're going to lose that same customer. So you, you've got to take the, the, the cheap and the value. There's got to be a, a comparison in what is cheap and what is value. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really, in, in my companies, we don't do price. We talk about the value, mm-hmm. the value we offer, the value we serve, because that's a lot harder to replace than just a price. And then uh, on all the companies, we are never the cheapest. I make sure that we are never the cheapest so we can have a value to sell. There, there, there's a cost of doing business with our companies. 
and, and we invest in our associates, we invest in our, our staffing, we invest in our training, and there's a value with that. And so when you sell the value of the service you provide, not just the price, and not just what they, 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 they get out of it, because the client's looking at it, what's in it for me? But when you really dig into it, what's in it for them is the value that you can provide to meet their requirements. There's an equation there. There is an equation. They're on one side, the value you're providing is on the other Correct. side. Correct. How do you get them to perceive that value? Oftentimes it is perceived value. Uh, a company that I think does this really well is Chick-fil-A. Correct. They're definitely yeah, they not do. the cheapest in the fast food industry. Uh, I would probably say one of the more expensive operations in the fast food industry. They never do discounts. Right. They're either giving you a free chicken sandwich or you're paying full price. There's no in between. And they never apologize. Never apologize. That, that's the whole key thing about it. Uh, you know, you, you, you never apologize. Uh, you know, one of the keys back at Xerox, when we, when we were selling equipment and, you know, some of our equipment was a half a million dollars and the Japanese were really coming in strong at that point in time with, with their equipment at a, at a 40% discount. But the thing that we had to sell was our service. If the machine goes down and the key thing was your sales rep, you have me. I'm the one that's standing here in front of you. I'm the one that is making the rec recommendation. I'm the one that if anything goes wrong at all, you call me, I will take care of it. You don't call it 800 number, you don't call. And, and so that was that value equation. Even though our prices were a lot more, we sold the value of the individual. Yeah, which I think is just, uh, I think this is how we got on this is that's a lot harder to sell these days. It is, and, it is. And, and companies, I think the consumer's winning in it. It's made it very difficult for, for businesses to try to find a winning equation. There's a lot of businesses making money that aren't profitable because of this. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the definition of, of, of true selling is selling is a transference of confidence. So if you have a need and I can make you confident that I have the solution for your need, then you're now, all, all I'm doing is pushing you to make the right decision. And selling is a transference of confidence. But the way a lot of things are sold now uh, with Amazon and eBay and things of that nature, there is no individual. Hmm. And so the consumer is having to make that decision on themselves. Yeah. But with te the uh, internet, and the technology, they're a more educated consumer than they've ever been in the past. So they're able to go in and do the research that used to be done by the organizations that a salesman would present. Now the consumer is being able to do that research and then, and then make, make the decision. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Even in the wireless industry, the consumer is the only winner in the wireless industry. Uh, price points have gone down, uh, data uh, amounts have gone up. Uh, you know, all carriers, US Cellular, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, they're all struggling and it's because of the price point. They got in a price war led by Sprint and he drove the market down and all the carriers followed and what ended up happening is the consumer now gets unlimited everything. So the margins have gotten so thin. Right. Uh, and, and, and just even, even the last five years. Right. So we don't even know what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're predicting that one day there's not going to be any contracts with any uh, wireless carrier. Right. Because the consumers are demanding it. Well, in, uh, uh, Apple's another good example of who's doing this, not letting their prices lower because they know the value they're providing and they're Correct. not willing to come off of it. No, uh, and uh, just to stay with the wireless industry here, no wireless provider has stood by the value they're providing, but and it's hard to get an it's hard to get any sort of competitive advantage in that as well. 
But if you took away people's phones for what they're paying now and said you can either have nothing or pay double, everybody's going to pay double because the value is still there. It's, uh, nobody is paying for the value they're getting in the cell phone industry. No, I mean, cell phones are no longer in this, uh, a nicety. Right. But now they have become a necessity. When they cross that line, uh, and here, here's where Apple has been genius. If you go back and you study the gold rush in California, and you take a look at everybody that was rushing to California to, uh, to uh, make, make their fortune in gold, and then you really study the people that actually made wealth, it was only a very, I mean, a very, very small percentage of miners. But the people that made their money was people that sold the shovels and the tents and the food. And so what you see in Apple have done is they're not, at this point in time at least, they're not in the wireless business. They're in the product business that, that you purchase for the wireless industry. So they've separated themselves out of that. Yep. Where Amazon is now trying to start crossing over into the two, Apple's done a great job of separating themselves as an added value product to that industry. And again, um, you know, Apple got all their icon technology. I mean, you want to take this full circle from Xerox. And there was a massive lawsuit with the icon that Xerox invented that Apple took on the phone. Uh, Apple attorneys were better than Xerox. They won the lawsuit. It's been it's probably had more seen. cash at that point. As I'm, well. I'm sure they did. Yeah. And so, but, but they have created a product and then they created software that shows a value that, I mean, every other uh, carrier has been chasing since they entered the marketplace. Right. And I, I would even say, from what I've heard, people that don't use Apple products, uh, that there are advantages on other products that uh, you can't get on Apple products. Those other products are also cheaper. People are still paying more for less with Apple uh, because they've done such a good job of, of providing the value uh, and making that value equation seem like something. Yeah, and, and not only that, but they have done just an incredible job with brand recognition. Yeah. I mean, when you get an Android phone now, I mean, you, you, you can purchase 10 different manufacturers of an Android phone. When you get an Apple phone, you're getting, when you get an iPhone, you're getting an iPhone, an Apple phone. Right. And so again, they, be, they took a single product and they become the best at that product and they created a benchmark. Well, every time that the competition gets close to that benchmark, they take their benchmark and they raise it. And so we're still wondering if anybody's going to be able to catch them. Now, worldwide... The Android phone is the top seller worldwide, and it, and it just it makes Apple look very small. Right. But in the United States, I mean, they are the key. Yeah, and I think they have just too much cash on hand right now to take a dip back anytime soon. Yeah, uh, I agree. Goodness. Okay, so we didn't even get past Xerox. You, Xerox, uh, after that, when did you start your first business that was actually... Uh, a business. You did these hustles that I would say are very business related, uh, but what was the first LLC partnership business that you got into outside of Xerox? Uh, it, it was Advanced Business Solutions, um, and I started that company uh, to have added value products to my Xerox product line. The, the, it, the, really, the issue that I personally had with Xerox, and, mo and a lot of companies have, but they're, they're getting rid of it in today's tech time, is there was no free thinking available is Xerox had one of the best training facilities in Leesburg, Virginia, in the entire country. And when you go to the training facility, they taught you 
what to say and how to do your selling cycle. And, and they used, they used a, a, a technology called SPIN, situation questions, problem questions, implication questions, need payoff. And yeah, I'm remembering those all the way back from the, from the 90s, 80s. Yeah. But the realization of it is it was good. Yeah. And if you walked a customer through that process, well, the issue of it that became, at least for me, is I was a free thinker. And so when, when I, would, I would learn this stuff, I'd say, hey, well, then if I added this to it, yep. I could bring an added value. And so I started bringing outside finance to deals I was working on. And so as I was selling a, a copier and I was selling against competition, and, we, and I mean, it was close. They were, they were having troubles making the decision on who they're going to purchase. I would just glance around the office and I'd notice typewriters. Mm-hmm. And I would say, hey, what if I could throw five typewriters in? And they're going like, well, can you do that? Well, I found a third-party finance company that I could package into the deal, yep. give them one payment, and and then get make the deal. it work, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I received all sorts of accolades, uh, all sorts of President Club awards, uh, sent on on a, on, a, on a group in Rochester, New York. But then they always struggled. It was a love hate relationship. They loved the amount of business that I could bring in, but they hated the way that I did that because I would not conform right. to their. Their fundamental thinking is this is the way it has to be done because this is the way that we've proven it's successful. I think I remember a story of you uh, telling Xerox sent somebody to follow you on some sales calls. They did. And you just went about your day as you normally would. You didn't try to change anything to impress them. Yeah, Xerox (laughs) decided they were going to study the top 1% of the top 1% of salesmen in the country to find out what they're doing. And then, try, and, and once they can find out some of those key things, then try to do retraining uh, to, to share those information with the rest of the company. And I, I happen to be uh, one of the 1% of the 1%. So they sent a guy down from Rochester and they said, he's going to ride with you today. I didn't have much notice. I already had my day planned. And I said, that's fine. And so we went on a sales call and he had his pen and paper out. And <laughs> I went on the first sales call, which was Amarada Hess and in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and uh, Jew Gann was the buyer. And we sat there and talked for about... 20 or 30 minutes and and then i said well hey jim we're going to leave and we get in the car and and the buyer said what was that i said well that was my sales call he said through your entire sales call you never mentioned xerox one time you never did a need analysis you never did any of the spin selling cycle is this the one where you hid behind the door and scared uh or was this another meeting no this was a different meeting (laughs) yeah this is a different meeting uh and so he asked me at that point in time so how do you think you're going to sell because if that's what you're doing, you, I mean, you're doing this all wrong. Uh, he was just, really, he was aghast by my, my sales tactics. Yeah. And, and I explained to him, I said, well, what I do is build relationships. I don't sell to clients. I present to friends. And I said, I have a relationship over the years. And, and he said, well, how, how are you going to sell to her? And I said, do you really want to see it? He said, yeah, I'd like to see it. So I, I picked up the phone and I called her. And I said, hey, June, this is Roger. I said, we have a sales contest going on, and I'm about $200,000 short. And I said, uh, do you have any copiers on the fifth or sixth floor that I can go ahead and, and, and get out and close this month? And she says, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and just do it. So she and I never even spoke about what copiers were there. Right, right. But she trusted me. She knew that I was not going to do her wrong. She knew that I was going to do the right things. And so she, she went ahead and gave me an okay for a $200,000 purchase order that I and then put into paper, sent back to her and get it signed. Yep. Uh, well, the guy was still not happy whatsoever. <laughs> so we get back to the office, I'll make his long story short, district managers come in and said, what in the world did you do today? This guy's screaming and hollering, he's talking to Rochester. 
And I said, Scott, you, you asked me to take her, I mean, take him and, and on my normal day, and this was my normal day. And so we, we always had a love-hate relationship. They did not like me free thinking, but they loved what I was able to produce. Yeah, and that almost sounds like uh, a tension that is necessary in those types of roles because you can't let everybody do their own thing in that way. It's not going to be good for the company. There's no consistency. Or maybe you can. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, don't know. You, you can. I would say 90% of the people needed that structure. Okay. They needed that that, that way of selling. They And then Xerox needed a way to hold you accountable. Right. They needed, they needed a system. A way, they needed a system. If they were, uh, has Xerox ever sold? Are they still the same company they uh, were? Well, they are not the same company they were, okay. but they haven't sold. But uh, they've really gone into more facilities management. Okay. But uh, if you're if you're building a business to sell, you're really selling systems at that correct. point. Correct. Right? So correct. If, if you don't have a sales system in place that people are following, then you're not selling anything yeah. other than... It, it, at that point, the the business is all relational, and nobody's going to buy a business that's Correct. all relational because you can't carry that on. Correct, and 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 even in the companies that we own, we we do the exact same thing. We send a we send an associate through training, and we give them the basics, and we will grade them on learning the basics. The difference is is once they've got those basics learned, then we give them the freedom to make good business decisions. Right, and that was the key thing that was missing that I, that I had a hard time working within that I did not want to do to our associates. And so now I got written up working for you one time for not following the sales thing. It wasn't, it wasn't ABS. It was us cellular. Yeah. And, uh, we had this thing called easy edge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Um, and so I'm, I've got to sell this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to talk poorly about had, products you or, had to or service. It. I had to present it in a certain way. Correct. To, to people that I thought would, but well, to everybody. Correct. The thing is, is I would present it to people after talking with them that I think would buy it. And, and I was applying this free thinking that I think I learned from you uh, and it just didn't go so well. well it, 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 if you're going to be a free thinker. You got to be willing to put up with the consequences. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, it, yeah, if you choose to be a free thinker and I would, I would highly recommend everyone to be a free thinker, but if you choose that then you are going to go against the grain. Yeah. And there are times that, that you're going to get written up or, or even f- or terminated. Totally. Uh, but the thing of it is, you have to stay true to yourself and who you are. And as long as you're doing the things for what the customer needs, you're presenting solutions. And, and, and here's the key thing. The customer, you might have five things you want to present to the customer, but, that, but through the conversation of building a relationship, you see that one of those things really are impactful. That's the only thing you sell. You sell the thing that's impactful to that client. Everything is just going to be an added value to them. Yeah, yeah. But but you've got to do that in a means and a ways that allows you to free think, to build that relationship, build trust, build loyalty. Um, and then if that doesn't work with the organization that you're working for, then that's a great sign it's, start, it's time to start looking for another organization. Yeah. For sure. For the organization's sake and your sake. For both. Yeah. Absolutely. For, for both parties involved. Right. Uh, it's important to do that, I think. And I, I've learned that from you, and uh, that's been a great lesson. There's no way that I could go into every lesson that I've learned from you in, in business and life, and soon to be fatherhood. I'm months away from that as well. But I think I would love to do this again with you sometime. Okay. Have you on the podcast again. All right. Next time you're in Georgia. Next time I'm in Georgia, and then maybe today you show me how to go listen to a podcast. (laughs) Okay.